Never look to be the smartest person in the room. You are going to learn a lot less if you can be in the room with people who have a greater experience and you are prepared to step into that sense of insecurity and vulnerability and expose yourself. You will be drinking from the fire hose and you will literally be able to, in weeks or in months, internalize years of experience and save yourself so much time. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Aviv Shahar. Aviv is a member of the Million Dollar Consulting Hall of Fame. Fortune 500 companies hire him to help their senior teams create purpose-inspired visions and innovative strategies that drive growth. His clients include executives at Chevron, Hewlett-Packard, Procter & Gamble, United States Department of Defense, and many other large companies. During the course of his leadership work, clients asked Aviv to help them innovate and grow. In response, Aviv developed Strategic Innovation, a multifunctional approach that brings together all assets, capabilities, and disciplines of an organization so they can be used to create exciting new futures. Aviv, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. Really excited to have you on. Um, Why don't you go ahead and expound a tad on that intro and tell us what you're most excited about right now. Well, the most thank you for having me here, uh, Travis. The most exciting thing is when you get together with a team of very smart people and you discover that more often than not, they are prone to producing collective stupidity instead of the collective (laughs) wisdom and collective breakthrough that they are capable of. Hmm. And when I work with those teams, we are able to produce radical clarity, sense of purpose, and strategy, a set of strategies that enable them to unleash the capabilities and and create Mm. dramatic acceleration to their business. So that's exciting. It happens to be something that I do for a living (laughs) and is also very meaningful and impactful Mm. in terms of people's personal lives and how they they live their life. I I don't know how you experience this time, but many of the senior executives in large companies and and medium and small companies as well experience this stage, this environment, this VUCA environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, Hmm. with a sense of overwhelm. So to the degree that we're able to produce profound sense of purpose and clarity and alignment, the impact is dramatic and meaningful, both in terms of business outcomes and also in terms of the impact on on people, on their teams, their mental and and psychological and and emotional health and all of the above. So that's exciting enough to, um, uh, you know, get me up and running and, and engaged in the work that I do. Hmm. And you also came out with a new book recently, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So Create New Futures is all about the very process that enabled me to produce the outcomes I just uh, alluded to. And the two core premises of the book is first that the currency of leadership is conversation. And what I mean by that is that as a leader, 
the highest leverage point that you have is not even that you're able to allocate the resources, that is the, the financial and the, the human capital and resources available for you. Mm-hmm. But as a leader, you get to shape the conversation agenda. And therefore, you get to ask, are we in the right conversation or should we be in a different conversation given the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of us? Mm. And I, I'm, I have discovered that that's easier said than done. And most people and most leaders are not as effective as they hope to be and as they sometimes even claim to be in terms of the architecture of conversations that they create and therefore the outcomes that they produce. So I am sharing in Creating Futures many examples of critical, mission-critical conversations that any uh, medium-sized and large company will need to develop to produce the results that they hope to create. And the second core premise of the book is that strategy is an exercise in imagining the future and working backward. And time and again, I share examples of how you imagine the future state and how you work backward from that place Mm. and how you concretize that mental model in your everyday and every week work such that you enables you it enables you to produce profound acceleration in in the efforts that you're leading with your team now when you are looking to work with an organization or the executive leadership at an organization is this something that like they reach out to you they heard about you or is it typically you're prospecting how does that work and then what do you look for like how can you tell that you can help out a certain team like do you ever run into people where you're just like actually you guys are doing a good job just keep doing what you're doing on to the next one. The, to the first question, nearly 100%. I, I couldn't tell you whether it's 95 or 98%, but run about that of my work is essentially word of mouth. It's, it's referral-based. So it's, okay. it's one executive having experienced our collaboration suggests that um, it'll be wise for so-and-so to speak with me and mm. we create the conversation. And if it's a good fit, we proceed. And sometime I'll be in conversation with people for three weeks and it will lead to a project and sometime i'll be in conversation with somebody for 12 18 months and then the timing is right which perhaps is already building somewhat Hmm. to what you're going to ask me after that about building your network and and (laughs) i will say and i will say right now that the key for me is to stay in the conversation and stay relevant in the conversation and produce value up front such that when people experience their value they say wow I am benefiting so much even before I invested dollar-wise anything in this relationship. I can't imagine what it would be like when we actually uh, work together and that leads to, to the work. Mostly people reach out or find about my service when they, well, typically they've heard from somebody they know. Yeah. Mostly we engage when they are new to the role, they were just promoted to a very senior role, and or there is a large major reorg, two companies integrate or two organizations come together and they need to they need to address a very complex set of parameters. It, it's about the organizational design, it's about the strategy, it's about the culture, it's about doing all of the above with limited resources and accelerating the throughput and and the outcomes that they need to deliver. 
And then how do you design a complex set of inputs that will produce those outcomes? Mm. That's what they call me for. And that that essentially is the beauty of this work because it, it has a it has a hard science inclined side to it of of focusing on the data, but the bigger chunk is even the art, the art of conversation, the art of the possible, the art of unleashing in people the the greater talent and the greater can-do power and creative collaboration that uh, we are able to unleash for people when we structure conversations that are purposeful and and meaningful and, and build these in such a way that they lead one into the next produce those outcomes that they desire. Working with a lot of these higher ups, a lot of these executives from Fortune 500 companies, I mean, these are these are top performers already. They're high performers, obviously, or else they would not be in the situation that they're in, in these high executive levels in these large companies. Um, have you seen a common denominator as far as like what all these people share in common that's allowed them to accelerate themselves to that certain point? Right, and so some of your working assumptions may not exactly always made, uh, match reality. Hmm. It is true that these are high achievers. It is true that these are very smart people. It is true that you're dealing with top talent. Yeah, and Most of them, Travis, struggle with, number one, a chaotic environment in terms of the, the velocity of the marketplace, the volatility, the, the velocity of change in terms of technology and trends. So that's struggle layer number one. Hmm. Secondly, they, in more, in more situations, I'd say in most situations, they do struggle with the internal mechanics of a large, complex company where you need to build networks and coalitions of, of willingness and support and achieve outcomes in a metrics-type organization where you need the help of many people that are not necessarily reporting to you. That's number two. The third layer of struggle is that there are always more demands and more needs and more requirements and less calories, organizational calories, than meet these requirements. And so they need to develop a profound level of clarity Hmm. about what matters and how to be intentional in their efforts. And those that do that well thrive and, and excel. And I think the the fourth layer of struggle or, or need is they need to do all those first three things and live still a whole life, hmm. be a whole person, you know, be be the spouse, be the parent, be the educated citizen, yeah. and be able to operate with all of these with a sense of staying healthy and focused and intact and well and and exercise and and also enjoy life and and what i call overall the the recipe of the new renaissance living hmm. which is how do you juggle all of the above and stay grounded and continue to focus on your own personal growth and personal development such that you're not just going through work and through the hard machinations of leading a large team, but you're actually thriving and enjoying the adventurous, the entrepreneurial side of it. And that through the experience, you're growing and evolving as a human being and as a leader, all that is, is a lot if you, if you add it up. And so that provides me a tremendous amount of opportunities <laughs> yeah. to assist and, and, and help uh, these very bright executives. 
Yeah. So, so you have a lot of knowledge, obviously, of EV, or else you would not be in the position that you're in. And you also know a lot of people, and you've gotten a lot of referral business throughout these Fortune 500 companies. So I'm curious to know the answer to this question from you. It's one I ask everybody that comes on the show. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Right. Well, so Travis, let me step back and, and offer the following perspective. I think in the first 10 years of your life, your experience is defined by who your parents know in most situations. Mm -hmm. And I think in the second decade of your life, you're defined by who you mix with. And sometimes even more so by who you choose to not mix with. And I think in your 20s, which is probably more where your question is pointing to, you are defined by two things, by what you discover that you know about yourself and, and primarily by... Well, what you understand about your core competence and your passion and where you can excel and therefore the direction that you choose to lead and the people you choose to explore those directions with. And I think then as you move into your 30s, you increasingly get to, to define who you are by the the people you choose to live with, the family you build, the network indeed that you build around you, mm. and most critically by what you choose to devote yourself to. And then as, as you look at your faulties, I think you will find that increasingly you become the product of your habits and your rituals and the updates that you have successfully integrated or not. And then when you lead into your 50s, which is where I am, towards the end of my 50, okay? So you find out that at that stage, you are defined by whether you are prepared to make a whole new start or whether this is the time where you started to level off and, and shifted into coasting and or whether you were really truly able to produce a whole new sense of renewal. And I think, I believe, I anticipate that in your 60. In your 60s, you are increasingly defined by discovering what has joined and what is blessing your effort and, and your work. So that's what I, I will say. And, and so for me, it's an interplay because mm. it, it, and it's a moving diagram. It's, a, it's these two polarities of what you know about yourself as your core competence and the people that you know that enable you to manifest and create the contribution that you're able to create. So in essence, you think that, that it's a combination of the two of them, different um, phases of life would call for different specific actions on whether or not, like which, which one you're really going to be working on. Is that basically what you're saying? Yes, and I will also highlight the following, which is that I would not be where I am without the profound kindness and generosity of some of the people that I interacted with uh, throughout my life. And I, given what I told you earlier, which is nearly 100% of my work is referral based and, and repeat work. I can probably trace the majority of the work I've done over the last 10, 15 years to a handful, less than a dozen, let's for sure less than a dozen of key champions. Hmm. So I, I do think that champions, and I, my, my experience, key champions in your life, people that introduce you to others and, and open doors for you, is a really the, the key enabler, certainly in, in the consulting space, if you are to you're going to try and work with those Fortune 100 companies. 
And equally, therefore, if you can be that type of a champion for other people and enable other people to achieve their success, then it's gratifying to be able to pay back and sometimes pay forward. Fantastic, fantastic stuff there. Can you tell us a specific uh, story, Aviv, about a time in your life where you made a connection with somebody and they became a champion for you and helped you uh, push forward in life? Well, so in uh, Create New Futures, I share the story of how in the early 2000, I was leading a, a leadership course, actually the top leadership course for the AMA, the American Management Association. Mm. That's a setup where you will typically get uh, 12, 15 top executives in a retreat setting for five days. And one of the participants in one of those sessions uh, was Sam, a leader from Hewlett Packard. And at the end of the five days, he approached me and said to me, this was awesome. I've been to every program there is, but I've never experienced what I experienced here. Do you think you could HP this for me? Hmm. And uh, in that situation, there is, of course, only one answer, which was, yes, of course, but what do you mean to HP this for you? And he said, well, do the five days in three, three and a half days. In a couple, three weeks, I met with his team and word got out. And it's now 14 years or 15 years later, and I'm still working with different leadership teams in now the two sides of HP. So he was a business leader and later became the chief learning officer. And this one connection, one meaningful experience together led to profound impact in my practice, in, in my business. But you could say, okay, that's rare because he actually came to a program that you were leading. So let me give you a second story that that will demonstrate that serendipity can work in your favor as well. I'm sitting where I typically sit on uh, most flights, which is D1. That's the first row on the right side with your left shoulder on the aisle. And next to me is Paul. And we're having on a, a conversation on the flight from Seattle to uh, San Jose. And we build a dialogue that then proceeds to a series of phone calls over, oh, I think 12, 18 months. And what do you know, that later led to me engaging with his team in Cisco. And I'm still working with Cisco now, five or six, six five or six years later. Wow. So sometime you will run into somebody and the key in, in terms of, you know, building your network is that I'm curious and I'm first curious to learn about what is it that the other person hmm. is working on and what is the problem that they are developing an answer for. And to the degree that I can create a meaningful conversation and be curious and interest, interested on point in that person, rather than transactionally, transactionally look to what's in it for me. Yeah, yeah then it would lead to the kind of relationships that produce uh, mutual value. So in this in this second story in, on, on the airplane, this is a complete chance happening, right? You guys didn't know each other beforehand. It was just you were sitting next to each other on the airplane and got to talking? That's exactly right. Okay, so perfect, perfect example because um, this brings out a point that I've really been working through with, with some people um, recently, which is you treat exactly what you were just saying, Aviv, everybody the same exact way. 
And because you never know who you're going to end up talking to, even through that person who may know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. But at the end of the day, everybody that you talk to is a person. So giving your full undivided attention and being uh, interested in that person instead of interesting about yourself allowed you to cultivate a real relationship with somebody that was able to bring a really big client uh, later on. But you had the, the bottom line is that when you first started that, like you weren't at a conference and you, you didn't know that, you know, if I, if I talk to this guy, you know, he'll connect me to this person, to this person. And you have this hidden agenda in, in the back of your head. This was just a friendly conversation with a guy that was sitting next to you on an airplane because you're treating everybody the same and um, really just trying to build genuine relationships and not, not treating life like in-person cold calling, but treating life um, as relationship building. So uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic insights there. That's exactly right. I, I, I don't do networking conferences, which may be counterintuitive to your uh, audiences, but uh, these are the situations I find that the best, most meaningful networking relationships occur inside the context of, of living your life and being fully present in mm. the opportunities that, that show up yeah. and treating these with a kind of care and value that um, they, they could lead to regardless as to whatever the title and you know the, the targeting that you had in mind about this person or another. Just completely engaged in, in be engaged in the conversation with the other person. Yeah, there perfect. is a full whole human being there and you never know where your your next lucky break and, and next opening mm-hmm. will come from and it may just be right there in front of you. Right. Right. Th- throughout your career, Aviv, how important have uh, mentorships and mastermind settings like group coaching, learning, and that kind of stuff? How, how important has that been for you? So I think that, that I've benefited from uh, some long-distance mentoring. I've had some role models that I've never met with that were great mentors. Hmm. But I've also uh, had experiences that were profound in terms of, of my learning and the value, I'd say this, if you are driven to grow and evolve as a professional, then the, the best framework, if you draw a triangle and on the left side, you write indeed mentor or mentors, on the right side, you write a coach. These are two different conversations. Mm. And at the top, you write a peer group or a mastermind group. And you need these three different modalities. Okay, so I've used different kind of situations for these three. These three work well when you have the middle of the triangle, which is you are driven and you have an increasing depth of sense about who you are and what it is you're after mm-hmm. and the kind of living inquiry yeah. that you are manifesting. And, and as a result of that, those different situations, the mentors, the coach, and the peer group they create tremendous value because you're driven with a sense of purpose. How So if somebody's sitting here listening to this and they're like, I've never actually had a mentor or a coach, I've never been in a mastermind or a community, what would you say to them? I would say that a mentor is somebody that typically had the experience that you're looking to develop. And it depends whether you are inside a company and you can find some mentors in that company or you're not looking for that, then look for those people that are three or four steps further up the road from where you are and either look to establish formal mentoring relationships or 
create for yourself scenarios and situations where you can uh, be mentored by osmosis, okay, mm. by transfer. Yeah. Mm. And the way to do that is to obviously look to find opportunities where you can create value for them in, in some way. So that's about the, the mentorship. Coaches, I mean, there are so many different approaches to, to coaching, but the kind of coaching that, that I engage in, you don't have to have somebody that experienced exactly what you're looking to create. You do need to find the right kind of coach. I'd say interview half a dozen coaches and find what they will bring to the table and why you will select them hmm. as a coach. Peer group, well, ask the people that are further up the uh, road on that same path that you are developing, where is the best place to meet people that are doing what you are looking to do and are perhaps a couple of steps ahead of you and are somewhat smarter than you, at least at this point in time. Never look to be the smartest person in the room. You are going to learn a lot less if you can be in the room with people who have a greater experience and you are prepared to step into that sense of insecurity and vulnerability and expose yourself. You will be drinking from the fire hose and you will literally be able to, in weeks or in months, internalize years of experience and save yourself so much time. Yeah, that's like the biggest thing that I go into with people is shortening the runway or skipping rungs on the ladder, however you want to say it or make it a visual for people. But that's always been the, the thing that I've gone back to is by building these relationships with people, you don't have to do that, but you're shaving so much time and really time is our only asset when you think about it you know money can always be made back time cannot so the the best uh, reason to go out and do these things is to save yourself loads and loads of time uh, by paying uh, sometimes a premium in order to save that time. Um, so if you're listening right now and you've never had a coach, you never had a mentor, you've never been a part of a mastermind or community or something like that, then just do it. Try it out. Um, got, try, try, you know, you don't have to go drop $25,000 for your first experience doing this, but get involved, get your feet wet. And I promise you, once you do it once and you see the value of being a part of these different things, um, it'll be something that you will continue to be a part of throughout the rest of your career. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I think Aviv, would you, would you agree with that? Would that be something that you would say like a hundred percent recommendation? Yes. With one caveat, which is you do have another precious asset right there next to time, which is your attention, your focus. Hmm. And so you must be guided by a profound sense of direction and of, and, and, and of purpose because you you have to not dilute and not diffuse your efforts. And to the degree that you spread yourself thin on many different situations and you're not sure what it is that you are extracting from these, then you are not just wasting time, you're also wasting that other currency, which is your mental focus. And so the discipline and the the capacity or the muscle that I bring to the teams that, and, and the executives that I work with is the muscle of learnability. And this is driven and built by the the Air Force discipline that I've you know was drilled into me when when I was just uh, trained as a as a fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force, where you would always 
with every flight, you will step back in the briefing room and what would you do? You'd have to debrief. And so I embraced that as a as the motto of my life, which is a an undebriefed action is a wasted action. And so if you go into a conference, if you travel and you meet with a peer group, if you step out of a coaching or mentoring conversation and you forget to remember to pause and say, well, okay, first, what worked well here? Second, what did I learn? Third, what will I do differently as a result of this conversation? And fourth, where and when can I begin to implement this refined approach, this better practice, this new uh, awareness, this new insight, mm. such that I can accelerate the learning into what I call the step three and step four of the learning cycle, which is when you take ownership and implement and bring the, the new learning into uh, a living application. Mm. You need to accelerate that velocity dramatically. Unless you do that, you end up with people expanding themselves and their resources and uh, on too many fronts, not being sure at all what it is that they are developing for themselves as an outcome in terms of the, the future state that they're hoping to create. And so much awesome stuff there that I just took away, and I'm sure everybody listening did as well. Um, but asking those questions uh, after you attend an event or a conference or have a mentorship session in, in some sort of learning capacity, whatever it may be, um, is definitely something that I need to start adding to my routine because you're right. Sometimes, sometimes you just get an overload of information and content that you, if you just, if you don't take time to figure out what that means, then it's never going to be implemented anyway. And what's the point of learning if you can't implement that learning? Um, so, so much great stuff here, Aviv. And let's go ahead and move on to something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Absolutely. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Probably a movie director and a Sherpa, a Sherpa up the Everest if I had the the stamina and perhaps a, a talk show host uh, like the role you're playing now, which I somewhat get to play uh, on my podcast show. But uh, each of the three would bring me to uh, new experiences hmm. and uh, new adventures. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? In the ancient world, I'd sit down with King Solomon, hmm. with Jesus, with Mary Magdalene. In the Renaissance period, I'd sit down with Leonardo da Vinci. In the early 20th century, I'd sit down with Theodore Roosevelt and perhaps with a spiritual teacher like Rudolf Steiner. And there are many others too, Travis, with each of these people. My point of interest, my curiosity, and the questions I'll be asking would be around the, the process journey of becoming them. And specifically about those points of the critical moments of personal realization. How did these come about? And I'd be looking to unlock and unpack these moments of realizations. How do you like to consume content? Books, blogs, podcasts, or videos? I am both a listener, a conversationalist, and a reader. And I learn best, actually, by framing a question hmm. and by writing. So when I need to write and create my own thinking and my own formulated approach to a problem, 
is how that is the ultimately how I develop an approach and, and learn best and fastest. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I wake up around 5 or get up around 5, 5.15. I engage in the first hour with writing. That's when I also do my engage in my centering callover practices. I run uh, for a good 15 minutes. Um, and then after breakfast and a little, little time after that, here in Florida where we spend, Jupiter, Florida, where we spend the, the winter, we head out to the ocean so I can do my second running and swimming in the ocean. And that's really a fantastic way to start every day. What is your go-to pump-up song? My pump-up song is the sound of the ocean. Hmm. Sounds corny, but when I hear the wind and and the waves crashing, I get energized like nothing else. What are you not very good at? I am very bad at feeling forms. You know, IRS forms and any other form. So I propose that the American Psychiatric Association needs to update what it what is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, with a new condition as you have claustrophobia is an extreme irrational fear of confined spaces. I suffer formophobia, which is the anxiety of needing to feel forms. <laughs> Perfect. And as we get everything wrapped up here, Aviv, what is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most? You can find me at avivconsulting.com uh, and you can find me on LinkedIn at uh, Aviv Shahar and also Aviv Consulting and equally on um, uh, Twitter. And you're welcome to visit uh, my own podcast show, Create New Futures. Perfect. Go check out everything that Aviv puts out. He obviously has a lot of great content and so much knowledge to share. Uh, so go buy his new book, Create New Futures, and listen to his show, which has the same name. Aviv, thanks so much for coming to the show today, man. I had a blast chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you.